welcome to Stories in the Cemetery. I'm Nicholas McGurr, author of Paranormal Fiction and owner of Stories in the Cemetery, an interactive ghost hunting experience in downtown Charleston, South Carolina. Hey y'all, I'm Amy Smart, a paranormal investigator for the South Carolina Paranormal Research and Investigation Team. Together, we're bringing you real paranormal investigations and methods used during these investigations. We'll cover topics like spirit boxes, different types of cameras, EVPs, and we'll also cover what you can expect from different types of locations. These methods and tools talked about here on the podcast have been tested at various locations that Amy and I have investigated, and we look forward to sharing them with you. To learn more about our investigations, make sure to follow the blog post for each episode at storiesinthecemetery.com and see the results of these investigations for yourself. Let's get into today's story in the cemetery. This month's episode is sponsored by GetUpside, an app that pays you back with savings on gas. Normally, we try to find sponsors that are relevant to the paranormal. This month, we found a fantastic app that pays you back for each gallon of gas you purchase at participating stations. GetUpside is an app that shows you gas station prices, then allows you to upload your receipt, and just like that, you get paid either in gift cards or right to your bank account. The GetUpside app shows you how much you'll save on each gallon of gas. Once you upload your gas receipt into the app, they'll verify the receipt and you can expect a payment in as little as two days. If you're traveling this holiday season, save those extra dollars by using the GetUpside app. Use our code CCV8RB to save an extra 15 cents per gallon off your first fill up. That's CCV8RB. If you need something spooky to remember the code, just remember cemetery, cemetery, vampires, the number eight, raven blood. Again, that's CCV8RB. Not only will you save money on the high gas prices, but you'll be helping out the Stories in a Cemetery podcast. CCV8RB. Hey guys, welcome to episode 41 of Stories in a Cemetery. So again, can't thank you guys enough for all of the listens that we had from last week's episode. Amy is still here. All right, so that's going to be her tagline, I'm pretty sure, because uh, I'm definitely from the North and you're not. So (laughs) (laughs) this week's episode, guys, we are going to be doing things a little bit different. So instead of talking about an actual investigation, Stories in a Cemetery is kind of an educational thing anyway, wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. So I mean, between the tours and everything that we talk about on the podcast, um, so this week we're actually going to be talking about different types of hauntings. So... Amy's done some extensive research, I've done some extensive research, but we're also going to be using some of our own experiences, so, and kind of showing you guys, you know, what Amy's already been through, I'm sure she has some great examples, Um, and we kind of went through, you know, some surprises of, you know, what we're actually going to be talking about tonight, so this way we don't always know what the other person's going to say, so it kind of makes for a little bit more of a, a natural conversation. Amy, I hope this is going to make you a little bit more comfortable on the mic, what do you think? I think this is going to work out really well. As far as that's concerned, guys, I don't really have any show notes for this week. I hope you guys had a great Halloween and enjoyed our first full-length episode together of the St. Augustine Lighthouse. I know History Goes Bump and Hillbilly Horror Stories. I believe that they're sharing certain pieces. And History Goes Bump actually posted one of their episodes a few weeks ago. So I don't know if you got a chance to listen to that. Have you heard that yet? I have not yet. So they actually found quite a few extra pieces 
um, that I didn't capture in my data, so I went through. Oh, wow. So this is going to be, uh, if you guys get a chance, make sure you listen to History Goes Bumps. You know, I guess not their episode or their take, but they have different evidence than what I caught while I was there. Sure. So um, make sure you guys give them a listen and subscribe to them. And, of course, always leave reviews for your favorite podcast. But, Amy, I say we get right into this. Let's do it. So do you remember who was first? Who goes first? I, I think it's me. Obviously, you're going to pick me to go first, but that's fine. So different, I'll take it. different types of hauntings this week, guys. We're going to cover six different topics. And with that said, of course, there'll be a small commercial break right in the middle. But Amy, why don't you kick it off? What's, what's the first type of haunting you're going to be covering? All right. So the first thing I have is orbs. Now, a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? Different opinions, I guess you could say, on orbs. Me, myself don't count too much into them but i can give you a little bit of what it's what the definition what what it actually is of course it's a form of energy with an unknown origin that can't be seen by the naked eye but which we can see through infrared monitors and recorded photographic film photographs um not the same as a ghost light so to speak orbs are not always just dust particles or static discharge or moisture there's definitely some obvious orbs out there, mm-hmm. um, but it's hard to prove those. You brought up a term that sticks out in my mind that is very generic towards our field, which that's the term energy. Using the term energy is usually referred to a lot of things when anybody's you know kind of speculating about what you and I do in the paranormal field. Sure. So when you say energy with an orb, like... How would you describe that that's actually a thing that can be caught in a photograph? Good question. Because they can be in many different forms. It doesn't have to always be a round, perfectly round sphere of, of an object or anything. But a lot of, I, I have researched that a lot of color can be seen um, with a lot of orbs as well, which can probably lead you to believe that, you know, when there's color involved, that it probably is an orb because what else would make that particular color? Unless you could get to debunk that with the surroundings, which sure. it's always being able to do. And that kind of goes into the study I did about orbs. You know, not sure if you read the article that I did, obviously long before you and I started working together, but you know, color does play a, a big part when you're looking at orbs. And I will guarantee you that any of the listeners that actually have any photographs more than I would say five to 50 years old, they probably have orbs in there somewhere, um, a matter of debunking it. Now I found a lot of times when you're looking at orbs um, and you're kind of trying to debunk things, it almost looks like a scientific, like amoeba, something you would see underneath the microscope. Yes. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Does it always have to be a solid color? Is it, you know, or can it have like those little granules in there? I think personally, in my opinion, I think it can have the granules in there. No spirit, no two spirits are alike in any way, shape, or form, just like we're not. Right. We're not alike. So there's no reason that orbs can't be different as well. And that's, I would say that's a very fair assessment because, of course, if this is some sort of energy, you know, quote-unquote, where it's going to be able to take shape. I mean, yes. let's face it. I mean, we are solid objects as people, and we don't hold the exact same shape. I mean, if I raise my arm up, am I not a different shape? Sure. At that point, so it could be in the same light and respect for orbs in the, in the same fashion. Mm-hmm. So, do you have anything else based on orbs? Oh, uh, let's see. I have what I think 
could possibly be orbs. But again, for what I have, I don't think they are. I think what I have is, honestly, what I have is dust particles. Okay. Um, that are reflected by the light from the flash of the camera uh, or surrounding light. I, I don't think I have an actual orb in any of my photos that I thought I had an orb in. Okay. I've let several people look at it, mm -hmm. or, or them, and they're all like, yeah, that's just dust. Or, yeah, that's just a bug. So, I don't think I have any. Well, I have actually caught um, a few things on video. And one of the things I notice about orbs when you're determining if it's an actual orb or just dust moving around, dust will kind of look at it almost like a snowflake, like it's flowy. And it's, Sometimes, yes. And it'll look you know, like it's just moving in one direction. The orbs that I have that have been caught, and ironically enough, um, I did capture a few orbs while reviewing the St. Augustine full spectrum lighting video after we did our episode. Oh. Um, so they usually kind of stop and go, or they'll change direction. Um, they kind of turn on a dime. Absolutely. Um, and that's that's one of the things that I've, I mean, when I did the St. Augustine Lighthouse, it was very dusty. There was bugs flying through there the whole right. night. You can see those. But when I see something that is coming out of somebody, that's where it originated, and it stops and it goes in different directions, it's kind of hard to not say that it's... I will agree with that. So I will definitely agree with that because... Also, video is a better way of capturing it anyway, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, there are people out there who can see these with the naked eye, which I think is great. I would love to be able to see one one day. I haven't yet, but I'm hoping I'll know what it is when I do see it. Correct. And, and that would, I'm sure, with as much hours that we have in the field, I'm sure yes. when it does you know, present itself to you, it won't be a question in your mind that, hey, that was dust. It would be like, right. holy cow, like this is a full-on orb. Right. A lot of people send me things. I mean, I, I talk to the general public with my tours, and I, I invite them always to send me videos or photos of things that they have. And you know what's funny about the videos they send me? Guess where most of them come from? I have no idea. Most of them will send me videos from their ring doorbell. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Because it's on all the time. It usually only alerts somebody when it detects any kind of motion or face or anything like that. And I get a lot of people sending me videos from their ring doorbells or any of these new smart doorbells that we have that actually records. Um, most of them are, are pretty much dust or, you know, something flying by, a bug or insect. But there's quite a few that I'm like, holy cow, look at this. So, of course, I send things to April. You know, she's kind of the photography and, and video expert because that's what her degrees are in. But... That's interesting, like, that you were referring people to basically check their photographs, but also be alert for the technology we have today to use their doorbells. Yeah, I even have one. So now I'm probably going to go home and check mine out as well. And you might even want to just change the settings to where, that way any motion that comes by will be detected and alert you on your phone for you to review. And especially at night. The problem with the night vision is that you're not going to be able to see color. Correct. That, that we discussed already. So... Do you happen to remember the first topic I'm supposed to talk about? Uh, yes, ectoplasmin, ectoplasmic entities and apparitions. All right, guys, so I guess it's my turn. So we're, we're going to actually go into ectoplasmic entities and apparitions. This, this is an interesting piece. Yeah, Only I can't wait to hear all of this. Th this has been weird stuff. And, and the things that I find, guys, like... It is a matter of speculation on all of it, especially with this particular topic. This topic, I guess the exact definition, obviously, of apparition is the act of appearing 
which is very simple. You can probably figure that out just by the word apparition, but it's, it's a pretty simple concept. If something appears before you, it's considered an apparition. So in the paranormal world, paranormal field, the belief about ectoplasm is, is way different. So, of course, the obsession with paranormal has been going back for centuries. You know, this hasn't been decades. This has been centuries. The belief is that when a spirit can channel through a medium, they can manifest themselves through the medium, through an actual, I, it's, I don't want to say solid substance, but ectoplasm, we think of basically Slimer from Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. So let's just put yes, it out there. Exactly what um, I'm on with. But they say that ectoplasm is said to be like a gooey, cloth-like substance. Interesting. So the first thing that pops into my mind is almost like a cheesecloth. So um, I don't know, for crafters out there, they obviously know what cheesecloth is. But it's if it's wet, it just feels almost like a paper mache, almost so to speak. So it's very interesting. That's the first thing that pops in my head when I hear gooey, right, you know, cloth-like right. substance. Um, you know, and that could be just a used Kleenex for all we know of what it really <laughs> sounds like. I started diving into that a little bit more, and a few months ago, I watched a um, TV series on Netflix. So it was called Surviving Death. And what caught my interest about this is what I think it was starting with episode two, and I'll put the link in the show notes, of course. But episode two actually showed a retreat from this Dutch medium where she claimed she could teach people how to harness their psychic abilities and their mediumship, and she would display how she does it by producing ectoplasm through orifices of, orifices of her own body. It sounds weird. Yeah. <laughs> it was odd to watch. But of course, anything odd is basically what falls into our field of work. So here's where things get a little sketchy. So first off, I read the reviews on IMDb of this show while I was researching like what episode it was. And the reviews for this show are absolutely horrendous. The reviews were basically calling this Dutch woman just a big fake, a big phony, yada, yada, yada. Here, here's where it gets a little, I guess, put it in your own perspective. If you watch the show, you'll realize that the, the medium was not allowing any video cameras from the documentary filmmakers to be in the room while this seance was happening and where the ectoplasm would appear, nor were they allowing any of the ectoplasm that she said is produced from her own body to be aired through this documentary. How are you going to prove yourself if you're not going to let people in? And, that, and that's where it comes up to speculation. I'm not one Why? to judge. Do I believe that this woman can do it? I, of course, I want to see proof. Just because, Absolutely. Me just too. because of the ectoplasm. I mean, you say ectoplasm, and again, you can't help but think of Slimer. I, I mean, can't get it out of my head. I know, right? That, that giant green stuff. Um, but it, it's just, it's interesting because she also claims to have several, how do I put this, other spirits that are channeling through her. So are you familiar with channeling at all? A little. Okay, so channeling is basically the act of, you know, somebody otherworldly using your body to be able to speak, communicate, act, whatever the case might be. So she's claiming that there are several spirits that will use her to channel her, which is where the ectoplasm comes from. So I guess to put it in perspective for you, um, would be to picture an apparition, a ghost of some sort, obviously something clear, misty, whatever, entering your body and taking over whatever your mind is. But they're because they're in your body, they're using your vessel to be able to communicate back. Got it. Therefore... In order to do that, it changes and alters whatever the apparition would have been into some type of gooey-like substance. And that's where it starts pouring out of the orifices of your body. Yes, Amy's shaking mind. her head. Yeah, I'm, I'm over here 
with my head going back and forth and my eyes rolling like, what? Yes. <laughs> this makes this is kind of crazy. Yeah, and, and it is. And it absolutely sounds crazy, unless, of course, you witness it for yourself. And sure. I, and I've never witnessed anything like this ever before. So do I have any personal experience with ectoplasm? I do not. Do I have, obviously, something going on with apparitions? Pretty much, at least, I would say, on a monthly basis with the tours. Yeah, we, we have some things happening. Um, so... Some of them are unexplained. Most of them are unexplained. Um, shadow figures can be considered an apparition. Um, and, and as far as like when I was looking for apparitions of where you can find the detail, it, it gets, there's some lists out there that can be speculated. Again, it's up to the perceiver of the, of the photos and or video. Most of them are photos because it's been elongated through time uh, in this obsession. Um, but I found that the best list came um, from a website called liveabout.com. And of course, I'll leave that link in the show notes for the listeners to be able to follow. Uh, but it, it actually probably had the most convincing pieces. And I get photos all the time from guests, like the same thing I do about orbs and ring doorbell videos. <laughs> yeah. People send me like, hey, what's going on here? And I, I have some great stuff. And I posted it in a Facebook group. I've when, seen a few. Yeah, so I mean, there's some really good stuff out there. And I would guarantee people actually have apparitions and or orbs um, in photos or, or old videos. Last thing that I'll put out there about ectoplasmic and any kind of apparitions is the, stu the story of Sue Howard Hardy. And you may remember this from the tour, but it is very, it's probably the best piece I have, and it's probably one of the best apparitional pieces that I've ever seen. So I've shown you the photo before. Yes. And the photo is very, very convincing. So for listeners that haven't taken the tour, I'm actually going to tell the quick story so that way they kind of know who Sue Howard Hardy is. Absolutely. The first thing that I'm going to point out is Sue's initials. So for spirit box purposes on the tours, I normally point out that her initials spell out shh, <laughs> right? Very cheesy, very corny, but it works. Um, and, I, and I wouldn't bring it up if I didn't see it or hear it for myself. But the story of Sue Howard Hardy is that she died six days after her stillborn child in 1888. How she died, I think, is pretty much, again, up for the myths and legends to determine. But in 1987, a local photographer in Charleston was taking pictures of all of our beautiful cemeteries, and he actually came across um, one photo that he couldn't debunk. So he sends it to Kodak, and it has this apparition in it. And of course, in 1987, we don't have the technology that we have. So it, it's a matter of what can Kodak come up with, and they can't debunk the picture either. So the lighting sources and all of that is, is not in the play because there really aren't any. Um, but the photo is definitely convincing. It's a woman leaned over Sue's grave, and you can see her back like with a shawl over her and a baby basket next to her. And the baby basket weaves are kind of even, you can see the detail of them. Wow. So, I mean, you, you've seen it, but I don't know if you really look have, at it. I have, but it, it's been a while. I, I need to revisit that. And it's, it's a common piece of folklore here in Charleston. So I would tell you that every ghost tour will, will stop and... and show you the picture, tell you the story, make it a little bit more elaborate of a tale. Um, but of course, the, the picture is cursed. So being the field that we work in, um, I normally tell people, do not click the link for this particular photo if there's evidence from the spirit boxes or something like that, and I provide the link. But females that hold the picture probably will get symptoms like queasiness and headaches and you know lighter things like that, even on your cell phones. So dear listener, if you're gonna click the links in our show notes, um, just heated warning, do not click it if you are female. Pregnant females probably won't have a good pregnancy based off of the gist of the story. Wow. So that's usually okay. the warning that I put out there. As far as the ectoplasm and my belief, I need to see it before and witness it. I'm with you on that. Yeah. 
Um, the channeling, I do believe in because I've, I've seen it and witnessed it firsthand multiple times with channeling, working with different psychics. The ectoplasm and being manifested in, in some way, shape, or form that's solid enough for us to be able to hold it other than a misty substance. Yeah, I'm a little on the fence with the ectoplasm bit until I actually witness it. I'm sure one day with the amount of work that I put into this that I will come across somebody that claims to be able to create ectoplasm through a channel. I can't wait to see that. I know, right? So I will do everything in my power to be able to come up with any kind of evidence and bring some home, keep it in a tube, and see if it makes things dance like they do on Ghostbusters 2. Just saying. <laughs> so that's all I have for that particular topic. So what's the last topic we're going to go through before the break? What do you got? Uh, the last topic is going to be intelligent hauntings. Mm, um, fun stuff. Which is my favorite, obviously. That's why I do why my hobby is what it is. And according to Quizlet.com, an intelligent haunting is an aware they are aware of their surroundings. They will acknowledge human existence and they may even try to communicate. Basically, they really just want to be involved in your everyday life. They kind of miss being alive, being being in their in their own body, and they just want to be a part of you and part of your conversation. And they just want you to acknowledge that they're there. So you said that they may try to communicate and want to be, like they'll acknowledge the person that's witnessing. So sure. what else would they do? Well, they may, they could move some objects, nothing major. It has to be something small or they can make a sound. They can make a tapping sound, a knocking sound, sometimes even a whistle. And a movement of, of objects, I mean like maybe a coin or just a pencil, anything light, anything that doesn't require a lot of effort or energy sure. to go into it. Okay. But that's what they would do. And have you had any type of examples that you've I dealt with? I actually had my first experience with that in Virginia when we were doing the Octagon Mansion. Okay. I was in the basement with a couple of other teammates of mine and we were doing an EVP session and my co my co team member Tammy told me, Amy, something is to your left. Now it's dark. Sure. None of us can see there. But she senses it and wants me to be aware. So a few moments later, not very long at all, on my left shoulder, my shirt just lifted as if someone just pinched my shirt and lifted it barely. Interesting. My very first experience of being touched, so to speak, I'm using quotes, my air quotes around touched. <laughs> um, I have been waiting for that moment. And it was a small one, but I was so excited. Yeah. But then it happened to Tammy. She got poked in the back okay. pretty hard, and she didn't like it at all. But yeah, so something was definitely there in that basement, no doubt. I don't think you've ever told me about that, you know, just lifting so the, the shirt thing. I don't think I have, yeah. So that's, that's actually really cool stuff. So and you guys, th this is why we do this. We kind of do it, I mean, we have notes in front of us, but we're not reading scripts here. No. You know, so, I mean, just, the, I mean, my honest, you could see the reaction on my face, like, yes. oh, cow, that's actually really yes. cool stuff. Um, but that's that's part of the reason why we do the show the way we do it. I Absolutely. Mean, it's just a conversation. Another moment in that same investigation, we were up in the little girl's room. The little girl was Audrey. And we were using a piece of equipment called a portal that Tammy built. Okay. Um, I have one as well. I have not actually finished putting mine together, but I do have it okay. ready. You know, we're just up there, again, trying to carry on a conversation, trying to get any kind of proof or you know, anything, sure. EVPs, um, we have light detection or motion detection pieces of equipment that light up. One of them is a cat ball. Okay. I have a cat toy sure. that once you hit the on button, all these lights go off and goes crazy. And then it gets 
perfectly still and all those lights go off, but it won't light up again until you get movement. So we're in Audrey's room, you know, we're trying to have a conversation with either Audrey or whoever at this point. So the cat ball lights up and we're like, yes, thank you. We always say thank you when we get what we ask for. Of course. And clearly through the portal, you get welcome. Oh, nice. As in, you're welcome. So, obviously a direct yes, response. a direct response. Intelligent. It clearly said, you're welcome mm -hmm. for us saying thank you. Wow. So, and, and in that same session, uh, I got my name said. Okay. My name came out through the portal. So, because we also always introduce ourselves when we start a session. Sure. Hey, I'm Amy. You know, we're just here to learn about you. We would like to know your name. Right. So or anything. We're just trying to learn about this spirit, this person that was there, or whatever. I mean, we're just trying to put a puzzle together. Right. So we always introduce ourselves first. So, so to have my name repeated back to me, another amazing thing for me to experience. Because I always, as an investigator, I'm always wanting that affirmation, that proof to me, you know, are you really here? I'm going to need you to really show me that you're here. So you need a person. I need it. Yeah. So asking yes and no questions is obviously not going to affirm anything. Mm, depending on what the yes or no question is. If you've got an intelligent no or a yeah. It, but then again, you don't really know if if it is, so right. to speak, a true yes or a true no. Right. And I do understand what you're saying. Yeah, I, I usually try to stay away from those yes and no's. I mean, and it's 99% of the time during any type of investigation, I'm not asking yes and no questions. Because again, I'm like you, I want that personal experience, the, the shirt touch being lifted. Yes. You know. Um, it's exciting to me. Right. To experience those things. Now, I don't want to be harmed in any way, which is another thing. You give permission to the spirits. Hey, you can touch me. You can show me you're here, sure. but you can't harm me. Right. So you do have to put that out there. Right. You can't harm me, but mm -hmm. you can touch me and that's okay. And with even some of like, I mean, I, I deal with the general public that doesn't do what we do on a regular basis. And so when I'm, I find that people are a little hesitant to kind of just talk to midair with a spirit box nearby or, you know, earbuds in their ear. And they're, they're always hesitant. They always ask me all the time, can I just think the question? I'm like, I, I'm not sure that it works that way. Yeah. But you could try. You could try. And a lot of times it depends on, on the location. And we have one very specific location that's obviously an intelligent location, which would be the Pinckney Mansion site. Those answers come through loud and clear. My name has come up there several times. It, it's an interesting space. My name has actually been heard even on an investigation you and I did. Yes. Um, and I don't know if it's because of the amount of time I spend in the field doing what we do, or if it's just I'm a recognizable, you know, with the with the gear and the equipment and my confidence when I walk into these places that it's not a scary thing, you know. Right. You know, so an intelligent ghost or an intelligent spirit, I hate even using the term ghost, um, but an intelligent spirit has got to be able to feel confident enough to speak back. I agree with that, yes. And, and that, that's a big deal to me is when I walk into a, an investigation of any type, whether it be outdoors, indoors, or just something I'm, I'm looking into of a noise I may have heard, you know, I'm walking in with confidence. There's no, there's no scared nervousness. There's no, you know, any kind of hesitation that I know what I'm doing and as far as what I'm actually after. 
So if it's an intelligent spirit, you can usually determine by those intelligent responses. Obviously, you've, you've said yes. that already. Um, yeses and nos. It's a, hey, is somebody here? You know, and you get a no. Obviously, someone is. Right. Maybe but, playing tricks on you, but exactly. Yeah, I agree. But that's why I kind of stay away from those. But that, that's a lot of good points. And, I, and those were great stories, stuff I didn't I know have about. one more. What do you got? <laughs> Keep going. I'm not going to okay, stop you. Okay, so um, another investigation I did not long ago in Walterboro. My team and I, uh, we did the Walterboro Civic Center. Okay. And the gentleman in charge of the Civic Center was taking us on the walkthrough. We always do a walkthrough on a location as well. Sure. And of course, during a walkthrough, typically no one has any equipment. Right. So I didn't have anything in this mm -hmm. moment. But we're walking down a hallway that used to be an elementary school mm. years ago. I wish I had a date, and I probably have it in all of my notes somewhere, sure. but I didn't even prepare for talking about it today. <laughs> but um, so we're just, you know, casually walking down the hall, looking at all the lockers, you know, reminiscing about our elementary school days. And I plainly hear a little girl's laughter. Okay. And I immediately turned around, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Nobody else heard it. So I thought to myself, crap, maybe I didn't hear that. You know, maybe I am, maybe my mind is playing tricks on me. My ears are playing tricks on me. You know, maybe it was one of the girls that I'm walking actually with, you know, one of my mm -hmm. teammates. So I kind of dismissed it, didn't think anything else about it. Later on that evening, no, 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 excuse me, the next day we had to present our evidence to the town. For anyone who wanted to show up, um, and listen to what we find. Sure. Lo and behold, a lady used to work there years ago on the hall that we were in, and she said she always heard a little girl's laughter. So in that moment, I realized I got my affirmation that that really, I really did hear that. That was not my ears playing tricks on me. I know what I heard. I have no doubt that you heard what you heard. However, I feel like what you heard may not have been so much as an intelligent piece as it may have been a residual. That's possible too. I, I will have to, yes, definitely. So that might actually change your mind after mm -hmm. I, I cover the residual pieces. Folks, after this quick commercial break, we're going to get into three more different types of hauntings, obviously with residual being next, because now I think like we're, we're this is turning into an actual conversation going right. topic by topic. I like it. I like it. Yeah. But guys, take a listen to this quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Hey guys, if you've been on one of my interactive ghost hunting experiences in downtown Charleston, you have probably already used one of Ghost Stop's amazing products. Ghost Stop is a one-stop shop for ghost hunting equipment and I use their custom-made equipment daily. Their S-Box Ghost Scanner is my favorite spirit box. This spirit box allows you to record your entire session without any outside noise, even when the volume is on mute. This allows you to visit haunted locations that might be open to the public without having to interrupt your investigation. It has a great speaker, so there's no attachments, and even has a built-in flashlight for those dark haunted locations. GhostStop carries all types of ghost hunting equipment, like EMF meters, laser grids, melmeters, and more. GhostStop is the home for the Eddie meter you see featured on shows like Ghost Hunters with Grant Wilson. Be sure to check out the show notes for the link or head over to storiesinacemetery.com to find my affiliate link with GhostStop. You'll not only be able to find beginner's kits and the perfect ghost hunting tool for your next ghost hunt, but you'll also be helping out the Stories in a Cemetery podcast. Head over to storiesinacemetery.com for more information. And we're back, guys. Thanks so much for allowing us to put some sponsors in the middle of the show. It definitely helps out things for Stories in the Cemetery. 
So, Amy, I believe it was my turn. It is your turn. All right. Residual. So I'm going to cover residual ghosts. So, guys, this is uh, this is an interesting piece, yes. <laughs> I have to say. And I found some really cool stuff. Um, and, of course, I listened to a lot of other podcasts, and you know that kind of helped influence where I was going to go with covering this topic. So, residual ghosts, as, as opposed to intelligent ghosts, where you're going to actually get direct responses, like you're having a conversation with somebody, whether dead or not, a residual ghost is basically you're a bystander. So we are witnessing, literally just witnessing, something that may have happened in the past. So usually some kind of, and most websites, I found this interesting as well, said that usually something traumatic has happened in that location. And I disagree with that. I also believe that happy occurrences could have also occurred there, say a wedding or a proposal or, you know. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Why not something that's just going to raise emotion? Sure. Instead of just make it make it dark and, and dramatic with the traumatic experience. Well, I think that's the what most people do with this field is they do make it dark and traumatic, and it doesn't have to be. Yeah, and that's the stigma that you and I put up with exactly. on a daily basis, I'm sure. But this is definitely not an interactive spirit, so it's not like a, hey, can you tell me your name? And then they're going to say, hey, I'm Thomas. You know, this is, you're, you're not going to get... You know, you can ask all the questions you want, and it doesn't matter if it's a residual ghost because all you're going to get are things like children laughing. Do you see where I'm kind of getting Right point. (laughs) So you're going to get where some little girl ran down the hallway one day, and in the afterlife, that's what she's doing. She's doing what she loved to do best. You know, and if she loved her school and loved her teachers or whatever, or her friends that she went to school with, then that's what you're going to hear. That's what you're going to get even on spirit box recordings. So way I kind of explain this is almost a, we're just watching a movie. And if something pops up where we're like, what was that? Or how did this occur? Why did we hear this in some way, shape, or form? It's just part of the movie. It's not necessarily, we're always going to hear girls laughing. But maybe the girls were laughing for long periods of time and you heard the first 30 seconds of that. And then, or maybe you heard it again and it was the last 30 seconds of the movie. That's kind of the, I guess, best example I can have to explain a residual ghost. No, that's perfect. Um, I like it. There's a lot that goes into this, so I have more, if you don't mind. (laughs) Go right ahead. I'm anxious. (laughs) This also kind of leads into the stone tape theory. Have you heard of this before? I read up on it a little bit over the weekend. Uh, I did not um, delve into it, you know, like, oh my gosh, I can't put this down kind of thing. I probably should have, but I'm anxious to hear what you're gonna tell us right now so the stone tape theory is basically stating that earthly things say like rocks or dirt hence the name stone tape theory um can actually hang on to the memories of things of the past so whether they're just occurrences or somebody's you know consciousness or energy again we'll throw that generic term out there and it's being held inside of say those rocks or that dirt because of the age of it Obviously, dirt and rocks are always, or have, have always been, part of the earth. So the, the theory is, is that there are such powerful elements of what we deal with here on earth that they're hanging on to the consciousness of a memory. Now, can it be any object, or does it have to be an earthly object? I think because of the name stone tape theory is where it comes from. Okay. I'm not going to oppose the idea that the chair I'm sitting in could one day give somebody, you know, obviously memories of me working on 
paranormal investigation data every week. You know, I, I'm not going to discount that at all. Okay. But I will say that the theory itself comes from stones. So just think of any kind of earthly um, element in that sense. There was a book, and I'm going to bring this up. It was called Ghost and Ghoul. Uh, it was by Thomas Charles Lethbridge. He suggested that human memories are stored in fields of energy, and they can be accessed by humans with psychic ability. So it's almost like you don't need the electronics that you and I use every day. That if you're a psychic or a medium, then you can actually access it from you know, a psychic or a medium, if you have the ability. Now, I have seen that in the past, where somebody walked into a specific room and said, um, that piano is not from here, and it belonged to somebody else in this other state, because it's made of wood, an earthly element. Okay. The look of surprise on your face kind yes. of brings it to light a little bit. Puts the puzzle together. Right. Again, puzzle reference. Always about the puzzles. I, I, I haven't read this book yet. Of course, it's, it's on my, my list of thousands of books that I have to read to further this, you know... I guess, investigation into this theory, um, but it's almost like they can imprint things onto earthly elements. One other thing I'm going to bring up, again, from my tours. That's where I have the most field work, and I'm sure you know that already. I do. So Lodge Alley in Charleston, one of the very first streets we ever had here in Charleston. I normally will receive specific names every six to seven weeks, and those names ironically, are two of the same names of people that lived in Lodge Alley in the 1800s. Very cool. Now, the interesting thing about this, and I didn't even really put two and two together, to be quite honest, sorry, previous tour guests, but the, the bricks that you walk on inside Lodge Alley are made of pure granite. Huh. Granite is one of those elements that is said to hold on to these type of memories. I don't get intelligent responses there. It's always the same two names that show up every six to seven weeks. Like I'm watching a six to seven week long movie and I'm getting the beginning of it every six to seven weeks. Okay. I tried to match it up with moon phases and all kinds of other paranormal things that people think of when you think of ghosts. Um, but I found no other relation other than it's about a six to seven week interval where I hear the same two names of Benjamin and John. They both lived there at the exact same time. That is so cool. Y'all have got to come take this tour. <laughs> I'm probably going to start adding in this whole stone tape theory because I've been talking a lot more about intelligent and residual ghosts on the tour. So I might actually have to add the stone tape theory. Not a bad idea. When we're in Lodge Alley. I mean, again, it is kind of a ghost hunting one-on-one. -on -one. It is. And it's a lesson. I mean, I didn't know about that till just now. So... I find it interesting. I can't imagine anybody else not finding it interesting because they're obviously there to learn right. about this kind of thing. Exactly. So absolutely. Add it in. Yeah, it's definitely not a typical ghost tour where you no. just hear stories. So, it, And I may just take your suggestion. The Lodge Alley, just so you know, kind of dates back to 1739. Um, but the people that lived there were in the 1800s. And yes, I have access to the full list of residents that were there. But again, I find it very interesting, and I never, like I said, it was putting clues together for me to take, I mean, I've been in Lodge Alley hundreds of times, I mean, over the past few years of doing these tours, and never thought to really dive into the, to the granite bricks that are there, which, by the way, they're called Belgian blocks, um, and I'll put the, there'll be links on the blog post as to what Belgian blocks actually are. So, listeners, if you want to make sure you check out our resources of where we got all of this information from, 
Um, just make sure you're, you're kind of diving into that if you want to learn more about those Belgian blocks. All right, Amy, it's your turn now. What's your next topic? My next topic is malevolent hauntings. So malevolent hauntings, <laughs> that's a tough one sometimes, malevolent. Okay. Benevolent. Male malevolent. 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 Maleficent. Malevolent. Right? I was going That's there. I think of. <laughs> I know. Great minds. Great minds. So malevolent hauntings are exactly what it sounds like. If you think about it, uh, malevolent anything is not good. Okay. It is bad. It is dark. It is evil. Also, another term, you could say wicked. Okay. Um, I personally have no experience in malevolent hauntings, thank goodness, because I may not be doing this much longer if I did. Okay. Although I might. I don't know. But that's just it. I don't, I don't know personally about this. I've seen lots of things on television. Sure. I do believe those are dramatized way more than they mm -hmm. really actually are, which you know, agreed. happens for TV. Yeah, agreed. I, I think they have to, maybe, I don't know. but So, yeah, just what I've seen on television shows or read in books. But, yeah, it's just it, it's just evil. I can't imagine, really, even experiencing anything like it and, and wanting to continue to do this. So, I guess with, I don't want to say lack of information, other than, you know, what we know on television shows, maybe that, that speaks a lot, a lot of volume to what our field actually is and not really coming across those darkened spirits. Now, do people look into that kind of thing all the time? I'm sure they do, right. which is what draws them to television shows. Right. Now, the other piece of that is, I, I guess, the stigma, and that's really what it boils down to. Is the I stigma. agree. I agree. It, I, I'm just, I'm not happy with how we're perceived you know, based on, you know, some of the TV shows and ghosts and things of the otherworldly questions that we don't even know the answers to. Yes. And that, and that's, you know, we're, we're basically seeking answers. And then everybody wants to know on the tours, how many dark places are we going to go to? Am I going to get touched? Am I going to get scratched? Um, you know, it just goes to show what kind of stigma is actually there and how taboo actually everything is. You're not going to go to your regular day job and say, I got scratched on a ghost tour last night, because no. that's, you know, that's just not how the world works. You know, I, I, I see what you're, I see where you're going with this, and I do agree, because I think people do automatically, when they hear the word ghost, mm -hmm. they think evil, they think bad. Right. And it's, there are some Caspers out there. Sure. It's not always bad. Yeah. And, and it's I, not always good, but I mean, most of the time, I feel like it's good. It's, it's intelligent it is residual it's all the good stuff about the paranormal very rarely do you hear the bad in, in the real world in the real world now granted some people will seek out like those serial killer type stories and i'll use another charleston example is the story of lavinia fisher and you know the alleged first female serial killer in the united states and you know people seek that you know, there's a tour that, that revolves around that story, so and it's always busy. So I kind of see like where people want to see how true things are. But I also, when I'm talking to my tour groups, I, I kind of explain it to them. How many jerks do you run into on your everyday life, right? Because we're, we're just going to call these malevolent spirits jerks, right? For, keep things clean, I guess, for this episode. Um, how many jerks do you run into, unless, of course, you're driving? Then everybody's a jerk, right? Absolutely. So, <laughs> Especially here. <laughs> um, but on a daily basis, when you're talking to folks, 
you don't run into a whole lot of people who are like, wow, that guy's a real jerk, you know, or he's a real D-bag, or whatever term you come up with. These are the same principles that we basically have when we're doing a paranormal investigation. Agreed, agreed. I, I, yes. I mean, 100%. you know, people will say, well, they don't like tourists coming through here, or they don't, you know, like to be talked to in that fashion. Okay, great. Just like any other person of when they were living, it's to me, it's the same principle. I don't run into a whole lot of jerks, and I talk to people from all over the country, sometimes all over the world. My, my tour guests are great. So do I get the skeptics that question me? Yeah, but still, Always. I expect it. So it's not that they're jerks, it's that they just have a different perspective. Um, and I guess the same thing goes with, you know, the malevolent spirits. And we all watch horror movies that deal with ghosts. You know, and that kind of thing. <laughs> Funny thing is, I just watched 13 Ghosts um, the other day, just, you know, for, you know, giggles. It was kind of a, all right, I haven't watched this in a long time. Let me, you know, sit down and watch this movie again. And again, it attracted me because it dealt with dark, malevolent spirits. So even me, not on a paranormal investigation, just a general interest, says, I want to see something that has a deeper story to it, which is raised emotion. Um, and of course, if we hear about a ghost with, you know, those happy emotions, and it's in a movie format, it's usually on the Hallmark channel. Let's just put it out there. <laughs> I mean, that's just... What else do we have for Malevolent? That's all I have. Honestly, I don't really know how much else I can say about Malevolent to make it more clear. And and try to find actual proof of Malevolent. Yes. Now, granted, people, if you've been on investigations or in haunted locations and you've been scratched, we're not discounting that. Oh, it's, absolutely not. We're, we're not, you know... Anything that has been harmful to you, I'm definitely not going to discount the fact that you experience what you experience. What we are saying, in a nutshell, is that the lack of evidence out there that shows that somebody is a true, malevolent, darkened, evil, demonic, whatever other term, spin you want to put on it, kind of spirit, we don't see enough proof of that in our regular paranormal investigations nor is there really enough proof of it that we could have researched that says this was this type of demon, this was this type of wicked soul. Again, we're not discounting your personal experiences. We're basically discounting the amount of evidence of things that have actually come through. Yes. Is that fair to say? I would say that's very fair. Uh, even when we, um, with my team, SCPRAI, even when we go into a residence, a resident make make claims of being scratched or bruised, and we never discount that at all. Just Correct. because it doesn't happen to one of us, Correct. Doesn't mean it didn't happen to her. Correct. But we take it into account. Sure. You kind of have to. Absolutely. We we take it all in. We look at everything. We listen to everything. We hear everybody. We want to know from each member of the home that's had something, you know, happen to them. Sure. We want we want to hear it all. So if it's bad, bring it. You yeah. know, we'll we'll deal with it. Right. And most people feel like if something got moved across the room or whatever else, instead of a big kind of, you know. Instead of it just kind of a, a jokester ghost, you know. <laughs> there's a lot of that, I'm sure. Yeah, there's a lot. Because, I mean, I'm sure once we get to the other side, we're going to be playing some tricks on some folks, too. However, most people look at that. Well, he moved my wallet. You know, my wallet wasn't in the same place. Well, if you saw it move, that's kind of cool. But it doesn't mean that they're a darker, wicked, demonic type spirit. Absolutely. So, all right. I say we move on to my last piece, which... Is poltergeists. You might... Another one I'm excited to hear about. So the irony of me, I actually chose poltergeists of out of the list that Amy and I came up with. And you know wanna wanna know it's actually hysterical? Yeah. Everybody as a Always. child has that one movie uh -huh. that they're terrified of. <laughs> My mind is already there. 
Poltergeist. And anybody knows any of my family members, they will attest to this. I was terrified of Carol Ann and the TV. <laughs> so the fact that I chose Poltergeist is what makes this kind of uh, an ironic and uh, isn't it piece. funny how as kids we were afraid of these type of things and now here we are smack dab in the middle of it mm -hmm. wanting to learn more about it. I never in a million years would have thought I would be sitting here having this conversation because I was so terrified of the dark as a kid, of movies as a kid, and now if it's dark, I'm in there. Right. And, and I would tell you, Poltergeist, the movie, actually scared me the first time I saw it. After that, it was kind of a running family joke. Let's watch Poltergeist. Let's get yeah. little Nick scared. And then one day, I would say early teenage years, my mother and I sat down and watched The Exorcist together. So, again... That one still gives me the heebie-jeebies, along with the Amityville Horror. And that's where the stigma of Ouija boards came into play, which, obviously, I have my spirit board mm -hmm. displayed at SITC headquarters, and it's not something to be afraid of as long as you know what you're doing with you it. You absolutely need to know what you're doing with it. If you don't know, don't even mess with it. Just... Leave it alone. Yeah, I agree completely. So let me let me tell you a little bit about Poltergeist and yes. the things that I found. Let's do it. So there's a definition, of course, which comes from a German translation of noisy ghost. So <laughs> okay. they're basically taps on the door or, you know, it can be kind of a cross-reference as an intelligent ghost. If somebody's here, Agreed. make a noise, right? So we commonly hear these type of questions being asked, um, footsteps being heard, furniture being moved rearranged even so again all of these things can be considered a poltergeist and most definitions will kind of tell you that it's usually attached to a person and they're kind of the raised emotion that brings about any type of poltergeist uh, one of the common examples that i found was that it would actually be out of teenage girls based on hormones obviously bodies changing you know, going through puberty kind of mess, and it's usually attached to teenage girls, even going like hundreds of years back. So like, we're, we're talking, you know, not just recent, like teenage girls that are, you know, going through this, but literally hundreds of years, it was attached to a female. That going, is interesting. I've never known that. Yeah. Again, we're talking about raised emotions. So that's pretty much been the theme of our entire show this week. Um, so I, I don't know what that is, but again, that raised emotional piece from an actual human will kind of bring about and stir about the different types of that hauntings. makes perfect sense of the female teenagers because yeah everything changes mm -hmm. when puberty hits i mean completely yeah. everything and it, it's probably more so on the female side obviously i can't attest to that um but again it, it's got to be craziness when that actually occurs and you can't figure out if it's your young teenager teenagers hormones that are raging or if it's some kind of poltergeist based on her raised emotion. Yeah. That's nuts. So the other piece I found, which I found was interesting, is that it usually lasts only a few months at best. So it's like a short amount of time. And that's maybe where that whole teenage puberty hormonal thing comes into play. Yeah. If obviously when a woman is becoming a woman, it's not those raging hormones are gonna last for a couple of years, but I would imagine the onset of it would probably spike whatever kind of paranormal activity at the very start of it. So that kind of makes more sense to me when it I was does. going through this. Um, some of them will be just a few short weeks. Some of them will be a few months. Um, but the belief is, is a true belief that it comes from somebody that's stressed 
um, somebody that's going through anything a lot emotionally inside their life, you know, high stress and, and traumatic events usually bring about some type of poltergeist when it is present. Um, the most famous case is the Enfield poltergeist, which we all know, and we were talking about films, The Conjuring 2. Um, the Enfield poltergeist, there's a lot going on inside this case. And of course I had to dive in a little bit further to try to keep it going, but of course it involved a young teenage girl, which there's our first clue. Um, but there was a lot of channeling going on in that as well, which is probably why I brought up channeling earlier because I was kind of going back and forth. And how they determined that this was an actual poltergeist is because it was stemmed from the teenage girl. It was mainly about her. There's levitation, furniture moving around, um, the channeling piece, like it was all related to the one girl of the family. Now, I was really interested in this. I'm like, how do you classify it as a poltergeist when you have all of these other things going on? You know, is it intelligent? You know, because you did have an intelligent ghost speaking back to them through a channeling piece. And there were studies done on the girl's larynx afterwards because I guess in the tone of voice that she was using to channel would have damaged her esophagus in wow. some way, shape, or form. Um, <clears throat> what they found was there was no damage whatsoever. And she can go for talking through this channeled voice for hours at a time and then go right back to her, her normal voice as, as a young pre-teenage girl. Like that to me is amazing. Yes, The fact absolutely. that they were able to kind of stem from that and actually dive into that study that much more further. Like I was pretty impressed. I wouldn't have even, of course I wouldn't have, but I really wouldn't have even thought of testing that but the experts in that field mm -hmm. would have but for me i was like oh well, that makes sense that but i wouldn't have thought of it but yeah but the interesting thing is about the lead investigator from that we're talking about the late 70s so i mean these are obviously 40 plus years of years ago of when these people were investigating this they didn't have all the tech we have they didn't have all the I mean, if they did, I'm sure it was makeshift, like, PKE meters you find on Ghostbusters. Yeah, I mean, they had equipment, but yeah. it was big and bulky, and who knows if it was even accurate. And I'm sure most of our people have seen the Conjuring movies. You know, our listeners, obviously, this is a field of subject that they're, you know, they want to learn about. So they, they know that Ed Warren carried around that giant tape recorder, right. and it had a shoulder strap, you know, and, and had a, a giant microphone and, and all of that, but... When I dive into this and I see that the lead paranormal investigator is looking into the science medicine piece of it, even with just that throat piece, I was highly impressed by it. Absolutely. Me too. <laughs> some pretty cool stuff. Um, he has, I forget how many hours that he said, but it's literally hundreds of hours of recordings that he's had conversations with this spirit that was channeling through this, this young lady. And he said he often listens to it, even still today. Um, and he's still... And I'm not, I don't want to say today, the video that I found was, I want to say, was from the 80s, which I'm going to play um, some of the audio from that specific recording and some of the things that he talks about with that at the end of the show. So, folks, of course, it'll be another little bonus piece of audio, but if you want to see the full video, it'll be on the blog post. Um, and it's a good 12-minute video, and it's interesting to watch just because it's not just about his case at Enfield. He goes into another case, and of course the video cuts off, but it is considered rare footage, um, and of course, all the accreditation to the person that was releasing this will be in the show notes. But just huge that there was so much activity going on there between the levitation, moving of furniture, tapping noises, um, the channeling that was going on, that they were able to label this not as an intelligent ghost, like what we called a residual ghost that was attached to the house and were replaying things that are happening, 
Um, but the fact that it was a poltergeist because they tied it to the one teenage daughter. And I think that's where you really have to analyze the bigger picture. And I, what I tell my, my tour guests is that we might catch some things in real time, but really everything comes out of the evidence. So we might have like a 40% of the evidence comes through in real time, and then this other 60% comes through when you're reviewing the data. But when you look at it as a whole, sometimes there's a theme there. And sometimes you have to figure out what actually was going on. Did we have somebody following us? Did we have those granite stones from Lodge Alley coming through a little bit further as we went to another alley a block away? You know, those kind of mentalities. So the case of, of the Enfield case over in England was super interesting to me just because I wanted to know how and why they labeled it the way they did. What, what are your thoughts on Poltergeist? Have you ever encountered anything that was related to one specific person? Because I have not. I have not personally. I have a friend that has. Okay. Um, when I was a kid, uh, we went to these, this, these people's house a lot. They were friends of ours. But the owner, the previous owner of the house died in the house. Okay. And um, he was, he wanted things kept the way they were when he was living there. Sure. The, the man got married. He and his wife lived in the home for the first few months until they got their own place. So she rearranged the bedroom mm. to suit her. <laughs> she would go to work and come home, and it was pretty much as close as it's going to get to back where it was. Sure. Because George <laughs> didn't like it that way. Wow. And uh, another instance, my dad was helping these people move a piano into the home. My dad went around the back of the home in his pickup truck with the piano while the homeowner went in to open the door from the inside so they could move the piano. It was sliding glass doors. So they needed to take the wood and stick out of the runner sure. to be able to open the doors. Okay. So he did that. And then he goes to direct my dad back as he's back in the truck in. They go back in and this was, this was like an add-on. It used to be a garage, but they still had like a picnic table area where the grandkids and would come and that's where they would eat and all. Well, the picnic table was completely upside down. Hmm. The stick that is in the runner of the sliding glass door is on the other side of the room. As if George was like, no, this <laughs> piano is not coming in here. Wow. But of course, the piano went in there. Sure. Now, I did experience another night. We were there at his house for a birthday party. A friend of mine and I were at the piano. She could play the piano very well. Okay. I cannot. I do <laughs> pretty good at chopsticks, but that's about it. Um, but she and I were sitting on the piano bench. We were done. We got up, screwed the bench under, closed the lid of the piano, still playing. Wow. Not a piano player. I mean, not a, not a player piano. Um, but yeah, it only played a couple of notes, but it was through the lid. It was, yeah. Uh, you know, had to be a lot of energy going into that. Sure. to make that happen. It's interesting. And, and again, sometimes labeling all of this can be confusing. I mean, I mentioned a piano. It all kind of ties in. It does. It, it, I guess my theory is, we talked about a piano. I brought up a piano earlier, right? Because it's made of wood, and it could be a residual ghost attached to it that we're just replaying the same thing over and over again. The picnic table. Right. Wood. Yeah. So, the stick. But wood. the question <laughs> remains, was it a residual ghost? Or was it a poltergeist? Is it attached to... I mean, we're not talking maybe just about a person with raised emotion. 
there could be a house hanging on to that residual energy, mm -hmm. right? That residual happening where it can become the house is the poltergeist piece. That's the, the staple. So again, sometimes, I, I feel anyway, like when you're looking at a full investigation and you want to know, was it intelligent, which is what we all hope for, you know, because you want somebody to say, hey, I'm right here, you know, let's have a conversation. But I think sometimes labeling it as, I didn't know about Lodge Alley and putting the stone tape theory together, maybe that's my residual stone tape theory. Instead of, is it just the same names that they want to tell me who they are? And I guess I put these occurrences at this home as poltergeist because the larger type of objects that, that were being moved quickly and quietly. Sure. Because if we do that, it's not going to be quick. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be quiet. There's going to be a lot of noise involved. Sure. But yet they're able to manipulate these heavy objects with little to no effort, but and quiet. It It's so crazy to me how it actually happens. But remember the name, the translation of poltergeist is noisy ghost. Yes. So something actually occurred to me when I was a child, the house I grew up in, my bedroom didn't have a closet. It had the attic door. Older house, Ohio, take it for what it is. We actually had doors instead of just the ceiling drops like what we have here in South Carolina. My bed was actually propped up in between the wall and the attic door. So I literally had the attic right above me. And I don't know how many times, but I would constantly hear footsteps pacing above my bed. Hmm. One of those creepy things, never, and it was one of those, I, I wonder what that is. It's gonna spark my interest. Again, didn't have the technology, I'm not gonna date myself here on the air, but didn't have the technology, nor did I have the access to any kind of technology that would have been available. I'm a young kid. All I know is that there's footsteps above my bed periodically that I can hear pacing back and forth. Again, noise, footsteps, furniture moving, the piano that you spoke of. Right. You know, all of these things could be labeled as specific poltergeists. I guess my, my theory behind all of this is when if we're doing an investigation, say at a house or a museum or any kind of haunted location, where do we stop and pinpoint is it a poltergeist? Was it residual from this piece? And, and it could be multiple pieces instead of just yes. one giant Enfield poltergeist, kind of how they had all of the elements mixed in. Again, would I be able to label a haunting as one thing? I don't know that we ever could. I don't either, unless it's malevolent. I mean, that's going to be pretty dang obvious. Right. But how often are we going to really run into that? Yeah. I know I haven't. And I don't think there's actually any... There's no rule book on what we do. No. You know, and there's no like, hey, if it's, you know, malevolent, it's going to trump everything else that's going on, whether it was a poltergeist or residual or however the case might be to prove like that's, that's what it is. And maybe somebody should come up with something like that. Um, maybe, who knows? Maybe I'll write something. I'll say, maybe we'll just, maybe we just did. <laughs> yeah. And, and where, where do the, the, the lines be, where are they drawn in the sand? I guess is really what I'm after. So I guess with that, I think we need to kind of wrap this one up. This has been pretty awesome. This has been interesting for me. I, even though, yes, I have been an investigator for a couple of years, there's still so much to learn because you can't learn it in one investigation. Yeah. It's going to take multiple to learn different things mm -hmm. because you're not going to experience the same thing in every investigation. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm still learning. So I was awesome. It, I was thrilled to actually hear what you found in your investigation because those are things that I've just I've learned a lot sitting here and that I'll take into my investigation coming up this weekend. I would tell you as many times as I've been to the same six to ten spots on my tours, it's different every night. Oh, absolutely. I have no idea what's going to occur. No. No idea. So, I mean, could I have an intelligent? Could I have some kind of residual happening out of a normally intelligent, you know, site? Sure. Who knows? I never know what I'm going to get. I'm just ready to be able to figure it out once I get through all of the data and the field work. So, folks, this is launching on Thanksgiving week. I hope you're having a great holiday. Of course, I'll pitch the fact that we're actually doing gift cards for the tours. It is holiday season. If you don't have to go out shopping, you know, during Black Friday season or whatever, I, of course, gift cards are always the perfect gift. Um, of course, I'll throw that little plug in there. But I hope you had a great Halloween. I know I was out touring because that's what I do. Um, how was your Halloween, Amy? I was actually on the road. On the road? I was visiting my parents in Tennessee. Okay. So I was on my way back. Did you at least get to hand out candy to some trick-or-treats? Not or a piece. Oh, did you at least eat any trick-or-treat candy? Oh, I ate plenty. Okay, oh, yes. then we'll end um, that on a good note. That's what I was fishing for. So guys, this has been a great episode. I do want you to kind of check out the last, I'll put up the full 12 minutes of the audio from uh, that YouTube video that I found about the Enfield case, which will probably really make more sense when you listen to it. And if you've watched The Conjuring 2, it would definitely make more sense when you kind of dive in. But feel free to watch the video. Of course, it'll be on the blog post. Check out the resources we used. Amy, thanks. This has been a great episode. What do I you think? enjoyed it. I had a blast. I can't wait to see what people are going to say about this episode. Yes. Guys, we'll see you later. Bye, y'all. I'm invisible. You're invisible? Why are you invisible? Because I'm a G-H-O-S-T. Yes, he had quite a sense of humour. He also used to swear a lot as well. I'm Maurice Gross, and I'm one of Britain's leading psychic investigators. I'm 76 now, and still on the trail of ghosts and poltergeists. In 1977, I led a team which investigated what is now regarded as the world's most famous poltergeist case, the Enfield Poltergeist. It became world headlines at the time, mainly because of the strange, gruff voice that came from a girl called Janet. Hollywood soon got in on the act, and the makers of several box office hits 
acknowledge a debt to my case in Enfield. I've never been able to forget that voice. He called himself many names, but mostly Bill or Fred. I still listen to the 180 hours of tapes I recorded during the investigation. This voice is coming from an 11-year-old girl. Well, Pat's guy, Pat, you've got something to say to them. Yeah. I'd like to know how you make this noise without bashing Janet's vocal cords to pieces. If I do yeah. it for half a minute, I get a sore throat. There's chases here. And we found that on analysis, the voice was not made by the larynx, the voice box, but by the false vocal fold, which is above the larynx. And you only use that when you lose your voice and you talk like that. Well, if you talk like that for more than a couple of minutes, you start getting a sore throat. Talk like that for five minutes or so, and you're going to start doing damage to your throat. And yet this voice used to speak up to three hours at a time. Not continuously, of course, but up to three hours at a time, without the girl showing any distress at all. Absolutely remarkable. The voice was just part of it. The girl levitated, going from horizontal to vertical in a sixth of a second. Furniture was thrown around the rooms. The house was swarming with journalists. But after four days, they were baffled and frightened and called my team for help. A policewoman gave a sworn affidavit of the extraordinary activity she witnessed. Even the ghost chipped in. The death certificate confirmed the truth of what the ghost was saying. Many objects materialized out of thin air, spoons were bent, fires broke out spontaneously in the impoverished family's home. The family had to endure practically every known phenomena in a poltergeist case. They were traumatized. They didn't benefit financially and were ostracized by many of their local community. The Enfield poltergeist menaced that family for 18 months. It nearly destroyed their lives. I'm going back to see them for the first time in 20 years. Janet, the girl at the center of it all, prefers to remain anonymous, but I spoke to her mother and sister. Well, here I am at this uh, famous house uh, in Enfield, and uh, here you see Margaret and her mother, who were very, very involved in this case. You remember the day I first came? Yes, I remember, yeah, Mr. Gross, remember and, and, Mr. and you Gross. was on the case ever since then, yeah. yes. onwards, and you saw everything mm. and took note and explained to us. You remember when the reporters and journalists were here? How did they carry on? I could see the fear in some of their faces also, and they probably could sense that we was dead scared and wanted to run out any minute. I know I did. Yeah. My sister did, I know that. I remember one of them came in and he explained to me that I'd got a poltergeist in the house. And, and I said, well, I know it's that. And I nearly fainted when he told me. I didn't even know what it was. In fact, I don't think any of us did. And we couldn't even until say the word poltergeist until Mr. Groves from the Psychical Research explained how to say poltergeist. That's me, that's me. <laughs> and, and, and also what it actually meant in, was it German? Was it? Yeah, it, it, poltergeist, it, noisy. Noisy, noisy spirit. In the meeting of it, also, which he explained to us. 
What do you say to people who say to you, with you children playing around, what do you say about well, that? I say that's a matter of opinion. If you haven't experienced it, you're going to say that. But it did really happen. It upsets me deep down to think that they can't give us an open mind, the ones that just put it down completely. But all I can say to them is I wish they could experience the same thing as what we went through. They certainly wouldn't say it was false or a fake or it was child playing or, or anything of that kind. The welfare of people at the centre of poltergeist activity is very important. I believe that most poltergeist activity is actually caused by very high levels of stress. Occasionally you get paranormal entities interacting with this. And this is what I think happened at Enfield. I haven't spent all my years searching for the paranormal. Like everybody else, I had a normal life to lead. When I left school, I was a commercial artist. I did two years apprenticeship. You can see on the pictures on the wall, well, actually, they are my pictures that I have done. I turned into quite a good commercial artist, in fact. But then, the war was looming, and I joined the Royal Artillery. Super heavy guns. We had to make a hasty retreat back to Dunkirk, when, of course, thousands of other troops. And we were bombed and blitzed to hell there. It really was rough going. I suppose I was one of the reasonably lucky ones. I got off on a destroyer. I met Betty at a tea dance in Marble Arch. Oh, I was very taken with her, right from work go. And uh, it was on a Sunday, and I met her on a Sunday, proposed to her on the Thursday, and in ten weeks we were married. Because everybody said at the time, oh, these war marriages, it would never last, it would never last. Well, I don't know, perhaps it won't. I mean, it's only 51 years now, so I suppose. <laughs> I think I can say it last. Uh, we've had a good life. good life that is, until the death of our youngest daughter Janet in a road accident. Betty and I believe that Janet tried to contact us after her physical death. You might believe that was just our way of dealing with bereavement, but it was a turning point in my life. I decided to carry out serious research into the paranormal and join the Society for Psychical Research. This is now my psychic HQ. The Society is the world's leading centre for the scientific study of the paranormal. I'm the chairman of the Spontaneous Phenomena Committee. People write to us from all around the country with their strange cases, which we investigate on a non-fee-paying basis. Can you recap on who he said was psychologically disturbed? He said what what name? Of who was it? Because there's so many That's names. That's the covering came up. letter, isn't oh, it? Yeah, on the covering yeah. letter. There's so many people mentioned yes, I was there. Wondering that. 
and only six stars, and a retired university lecturer. Well, I think we can dispense with that case then, yes. We had a letter from a woman in Watford. She claimed her clothes were being severely damaged and sometimes disappearing altogether. Shirley had submitted herself to psychiatric treatment, but there was no explanation. She now keeps her clothes in padlock cupboards. Only her husband has the keys. In desperation, she contacted our society. Hello, Shirley. Hello. Nice to see you. Hi. Hello. It's all right, thank you. Hello, Joggy. <laughs> oh, exciting, Hello. Go in. Hello. They're wonderful. They're wonderful dogs. They're very, very intelligent. Just let me show you. You know I'm making a video yeah. diary, Phil. You've no objection to us using some of this. We no. won't use much of it, but no. some of it you have. No objection at all, no. Right, OK, thank you. And here are the famous yes, uh, padlock wardrobe. Yes, this is my wardrobe. wardrobe. Yeah. Padlocks on that one. This is mine with the stronger lock. And again, I don't even okay. touch these normally. You can't, can you unlock No, no, my husband's got the keys. There's only one set and he's got them with him. Have any... Uh, any shoes or clothes or anything disappeared from that yeah. one. Oh yeah. Whilst it's been padlocked yes. up oh, recently. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. In the last few months, I've had um, a shirt from there and a skirt. Sometimes I forget, and then I suddenly think, oh, I haven't seen that skirt or whatever. And from the bottom, I mean, my brown boots were actually in that wardrobe when they yeah, yes. the box. We actually found the carrier bag in the bottom of that wardrobe. Now, when you want anything out of there. You have to ask your husband yeah, to Yeah, well, if he isn't in, I leave him a note. I had to leave him a note actually last night to leave this skirt and sweater. Well, that's out. dreadful. Yeah, really. And sometimes he goes out and I have to say, you know, I'll no, leave so, Excuse me laughing, but it no, seems to be it is. a ludicrous situation. I don't talk it. I don't send it to anybody. Yeah. Come on, dog. You're the one who's responsible. I'm sure <laughs> you are responsible for it. Oh, look at your waggish tail. I wish he knew. <laughs> I if, that, if that dog could talk, he'd be able to tell me a lot of things. Yes, I'm sure he would. May, may I suggest to you that you stop all this padlocking business stop and get it. back to yes, and get back to a normal life. And if things still disappear, uh, you start to accept it and see then whether it starts to diminish. I think you see. Uh, I think what is happening is that let, let's let's assume that um, it is paranormal mm -hmm. activity. I mean, make the assumption it is paranormal activity. By having all these padlocks and bolts and, and sleeping in the spare room, you are continuing a high-stress situation. Now, if you're continuing this high-stress situation, and if it is paranormal activity, if it is um, teleportation, the movement of objects or whatever... Thanks for listening to today's Story in the Cemetery. We'll be back soon to talk about another investigation and the tools we use to conduct that investigation. To see all the evidence of our investigations, visit storiesinthecemetery.com and see the paranormal proof for yourself. If you'd like to take a ghost hunting walking tour with me in downtown Charleston, just visit the same website, storiesinthecemetery.com, and click on the Let's Go Ghost Hunting to learn more. Bye, y'all.